I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Hi, I'm Ethan Nadelman, and this is Psychoactive, a production of iHeartRadio and Protozoa Pictures. Psychoactive is the show where we talk about all things drugs— but any views expressed here do not represent those of iHeartMedia, Protozoa Pictures, or their executives and employees. Indeed, as an inveterate contrarian, I can tell you they may not even represent my own. And nothing contained in this show should be used as medical advice or encouragement to use any type of drugs. Hello, psychoactive listeners. So today we're going to talk about CBD, everything you ever wanted to know and maybe were afraid to ask or weren't sure you're getting good answers about. Now, my guest is a real expert on CBD who I have enormous respect for. His name's Martin Lee. And I, I first heard about Martin Lee when he wrote a book in the mid-80s called uh, Acid Dreams, The Complete Social History of LSD, the CIA, the 60s and Beyond, which was, you know, really became one of the sort of classic books in the field. And then about 10 years ago, he did another book, an award-winning book called Smoke Signals, A Social History of Marijuana Medical, Recreational and Scientific. Um, now, Martin, in recent years, created an organization called Project CBD. It's a fantastic website, chock full of tons of information. He's been my go-to person whenever I have questions about this. So, Martin, thanks so much for joining me on Psychoactive. My pleasure, Ethan. I've been looking forward to this, actually. So could you just explain what is CBD? Well, CBD is short for cannabidiol. That's the scientific name. Mm -hmm. And CBD and THC are both 
components of the cannabis plant, part of a, a group of uh, compounds called cannabinoids, THC and CBD, are the most prominent and well-known cannabinoids in the cannabis plant. If you look at the molecules, you know, the, the, the structure, side by side, you'd be hard-pressed to notice a difference. It's, it's very, very minor. They, they have the same atoms, basically. In history, you look at the original strains of cannabis, the so-called land race strains, before uh, cannabis became popular in the United States in the 1960s, it was often the case that a, a, a varietal of cannabis would have relatively equal amounts of THC and CBD. And these plants were exquisite in terms of the, the psychoactive effects they conferred, uh, much loved by people today even still, if you can get hold of them. Names like Acapulco Gold come to mind. Uh, these are the original land race strains. Um, but over time, what happened in, in the late 60s, early 70s, when people started to, am amateur horticulture started breeding cannabis strains, uh, they made an effort uh, not consciously to breed the CBD out of the strains, but to, to give a kind of accentuated high, the perfect high they were looking for. And they kind of inadvertently pushed the CBD into kind of a recessive genetic mode. So we ended up with a lot of THC-dominant cannabis, um, which has significant med medical properties. But we kind of lost the access to CBD over time. And these, the CBD was rediscovered, you might say, um, in around 2010. Then began to be reintroduced into the supply. But CBD is not intoxicating, unlike THC, which is an intoxicating compound. But I think it's misleading and incorrect to describe CBD as non-psychoactive. That became kind of a, a marketing slogan, I think, for the emerging CBD industry. They want to distinguish it from THC, so that CBD is non-psychoactive, THC is psychoactive. But actually, uh, CBD is shown to have anti-anxiety properties, antidepressant properties. Uh, and, and if you uh, consume a compound that can change one's mood and make one less anxious or less depressive, it's clearly then having a psychoactive impact. It's just not an intoxicating impact. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important distinction because there's been an effort or, or emphasis on trying to bifurcate CBD and separate it from T THC. Uh, and I think that's misleading. Uh, I think one of the problems there is that, you know, initially, again, that the marketing pitch is, well, CBD, it's not psychoactive. Uh, it will eliminate the high. And originally, when we were involved at Project CBD and reintroducing CBD into the medical cannabis supply in California, the emphasis was not so much as that CBD um, didn't get you high. It's that CBD helped manage the psychoactivity. Uh, that it can lessen the psychoactivity, um, but not necessarily eliminate all of it. And that, that was the point, uh, to manage the psychoactivity of cannabis, which is really the, uh, the first challenge for a person using cannabis for therapeutic use, um, mm -hmm. to, to, to sort of limit the intoxicating effects so it's tolerable, if indeed uh, that's important to the person. If one's taken straight CBD, is it possible to get high intoxicated in that sense, like a marijuana high or something resembling that, with just straight CBD, even a large amount with no THC? One shouldn't have an intoxicating effect if you take straight CBD or pure CBD. Um, there's a little caveat to that, but maybe we'll get into later in that. When CBD is extracted from the plant, whether it's hemp or cannabis, 
again, it shouldn't, if it's just pure CBD, no intoxication. But if it's made synthetically in a lab, which I think is the coming wave in the future for CBD isolates, um, depending how it's made, it actually could have an intoxicating effect because not to get too far deep into the science right now, you, you know, it, there's a certain um, natural form of THC that exists in the plant. Oh, same with CBD and THC both. But when you create it synthetically, it can create versions of CBD and THC that are non-natural versions of the plant. And what happens in, in the lab when you synthesize it, it creates what's called a racemic mixture. Um, so just to step back for a moment, you know, the, the CBD and the THC molecule have like left-handed and right-handed versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in nature, it only occurs in one way. Uh, but if you have the non-natural version, that can actually have a very powerful effect on, on the uh, receptors that get you high. Now, are those things out on the market today? I mean, it's funny, I was at a party the other night and some uh, woman I met was claiming, oh, I get high off of pure C- C- CBD. Was that just kind of imagined on her part, sort of placebo effect? Or was it, are there actually things in the market that could be doing that now? I would say it's most likely imagined, but um, mm-hmm. it's possible. Again, when, if, if it's a synthetically created molecule, you have not only actually left-handed and right-handed versions of the molecule, which sort of fit in differently into the receptor and can do different things. And in fact, one of the metabolites uh, that's been shown in a laboratory of these um, alternative versions of CBD, non-natural versions, has a more powerful effect than THC on the receptor. So it's hmm. conceivable that, uh, that that will make you feel high. And I've heard from people that they purchase a CBD product it's advertised as being a whole plant spectrum, meaning other components of the cannabis, mm-hmm. cannabis plant in there, not just the CBD. Yet mm-hmm. when we tested some of these, they only had CBD in them, um, and the person claimed that they got high yeah. from it and made them uncomfortable. They, this is a person that wasn't particularly fond of THC. Not uh-huh. everybody is. So uh-huh. I don't know. I, I think this is something that has to be looked at very carefully and regulated very carefully uh-huh. because it could be dangerous. So just going back to the the innovation that was happening you know, among horticulturalists trying to get stronger marijuana back in the 70s, 80s, when they were trying to kick up the THC, did that sort of inevitably lower? I remember hearing this, I don't know if it was a rumor or not, that when you try to kick up the THC in the plant, it's going to be knocking down the CBD. Um, and was that originally true and no longer true? Or is that sort of an inevitable part of that process of trying to increase THC potency? It's kind of an either-or thing. I mean, genetically, when, uh, when the plant is developing, you know, there's only a certain amount of cannabinoids that can be in the plant. Generally, we think of it as 20%, 25%. Maybe you can push it up to 30 But you can't have 25% of both. So you have certain strains that are kind of half and half to roughly um, equal amounts of CBD Mm -hmm. and THC. But I remember hearing at some point years ago that there were more and more of the very high THC plants, and that was knocking down the CBD, that there was an either-or factor that was resulting in people becoming more anxious and things like that when they smoked marijuana of that sort. Now, was 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 there some truth to that? Yeah, I think that's essentially correct what happened. And it wasn't that it was the people were intending to knock out the CBD. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's more, you know, the, the breeding in those days before we had access to analytical labs that can tell us actually what's in the plant was a lot of it was as, as much art, if not more so than science, you know, and people were creating different versions of the plant and testing it and see what they like. They, they, they picked and choose and they sort of inadvertently 
spread the, the CBD into very low amounts genetically. Uh, you mm -hmm. can think of it this way. If, if the THC dominant plants are the brown eyes and the CBD plants are the blue eyes, uh, they kind of you know, bred the blue eyes out of it, except those genes were recessive. Uh, mm -hmm. So when you have all this kind of crazy intermixing of so many different strains are being bred, inevitably, uh, a few blue-eyed plants would pop up. And that's what happened in mm -hmm. 2009, 2010, when we identified a few plants that had a significant amount of CBD in them. And these were plants that were generally uh, what we call the type 2s. Uh, the plants that had roughly equal amounts of CBD and THC. Type no. 1s, yeah. high THC, low CBD. Type 2s, mix of each. Uh, type 3s, high CBD, low THC. Uh -huh. when, once, once hemp entered the picture, uh, in some ways there was less focus on uh, marijuana plants, quote-unquote, with significant amounts of CBD that kind of fell off the radar and got short shrift a bit, although I think that will come back in the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, so let's talk about it, hemp thing, because I mean, you know, all of a sudden hemp, I always thought, you know, hemp was basically, uh, to my mind, it was low, you know, low THC marijuana growing wild all over the place and being cultivated in many parts of the world, but banned in the U.S. until, you know, I guess what, the 2018 Farm Bill, um, and oftentimes being used for industrial and agricultural purposes, but it wasn't the industrial hemp. Was it that was being associated with CBD, or was it originally, or was it incorrectly associated with that? What, what's the story about that hemp plant and CBD relationship? Well, when you think about it, before what I'm referring to as the rediscovery of, of CBD, um, industrial hemp around the world wasn't grown for cannabinoid content. It was grown for fiber, uh, for the bass, the herd, and also in some cases for the seed oil. Uh, but this was not... Uh, this had really little to do with CBD or THC. This was not the focus of, of industrial hemp. But what happened is when you consider the, the different categories of hemp, there were basically two, the, the hemp grown for fiber and hemp grown for seed oil. Hemp grown for fiber is really useless in terms of extracting for CBD or THC or any cannabinoid. These are plants that sort of look like bamboo almost shoots with, with just a little bit of foliage. Um, then you also have the seed oil plants. They're a little bit different. They're a little bit bushier. And if you actually analyze the content of the cannabinoids in the seed oil plants, the plants that's grown for extracting oil used for soap or uh, uh, paint or, or also nutritional purposes, um, they have a little more CBD than the, the, the fiber plants, maybe 3%, 3.5% if you measured it in, in an analytical lab. But there's always a few outliers uh, that would, would pop up a little bit higher with the CBD, uh, maybe up to 6 or 7%, that kind of a little bit wild in the field. And that's what became the CBD from hemp, uh, those type of plants, kind of the offshoots of phenola uh, or seed, other seed oil varietals. Um, and that's what became uh, Charlotte's Web initially and some of the uh, more well-known, uh, well, that was the most well-known strain of, of, of hemp early on, you know, you know when it first bur burst into um, national consciousness in 2013. And those same plants had THC in them as well at comparable amounts or what? Not much. You know, in, in hemp in general, there's not much resin in there compared to a marijuana plant. And that's where the CBD and THC lives in the plant, in the resin. Hemp is low resin cannabis. Marijuana, quote unquote, is high resin cannabis. That's how I distinguish them. 
Resin is in the flower tops of cannabis. You know, that's where the magic is. That's where the cannabinoids are. Um, if you're getting CBD or THC from cannabis, it's coming from the resin in the plant. When you go back and look at the actual definition of marijuana with an H, from the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, and the exact two-sentence de definition was ported over to the Controlled Substance Act in 1970, uh, it mentions resin three times in the definition of marijuana. And it's very clear that anything to do with the resin it was considered illegal. That was prohibited. If there was part of the cannabis plant, um, it was just the stalk and no resin, and if it came from a plant uh, that, that was a low-resin plant, that anything in the plant that had nothing to do with the resin, that was considered legal, according to the Marijuana Tax Act. Essentially, it means that CBD was made illegal in 1937, according to the Marijuana Tax Act. But it's peculiar because CBD actually hadn't been discovered yet. It was only discovered in 1940 by Roger Adams, the chemist at uh, University of Illinois. So CBD was made illegal before it was discovered. Simply because of the banning of resin. The Marijuana Tax Act banned anything to do with the resin of the plant, any derivative from the resin, the resin itself. But the resin is where CBD lives in the plant. The resin is where THC is in the plant. So anything to do with the resin was considered illegal. Um, and the way that the distinction between hemp and marijuana plays out legally now, you have an artificial line you know, drawn across the plant so that any plant with 0.3% THC or less is considered hemp. Or if it has more than that amount of THC, it's considered marijuana. But Mara, I thought the entire hemp plant was actually banned for many decades. It, it, well, it, because it produced resin, even if it was a tiny amount. I see. So nobody had figured out how to produce hemp plants and hemp stalks for industrial purposes that would consistently be below 0.3% THC. The law didn't say anything to do, it didn't have anything to do with 0.3% THC. Uh, that only comes later with the farm bill. You know, the, the law was all about resin. Anything to do with resin is illegal. Now, mm -hmm. because the way things played out politically with the Federal Bureau of Narcotics and, and its successors, uh, they went whole hog and they basically banned hemp, even though parts of hemp um, had no resin in it. Um, mm -hmm. and Which is also why when people could, you know, import hemp products, which were totally sort of, you know, cl cleansed of any THC, that was legal, right? Yes. And then, when, of course, I guess that was a little historical period during World War II when the U.S. government encouraged farmers to briefly grow hemp uh, because it was part of the war effort, but then rebanned it thereafter. And I guess it essentially stayed um, banned until just a few years ago, except for maybe some state-authorized research programs. In 2014, it changed with that farm, farm bill from that year. It became mm -hmm. uh, legal to grow hemp. Um, particularly for CBD uh, extraction. And that's really what motivated mm -hmm. the interest in the CBD. That, that's what led to the Farm Bill, the, the explosion of popular interest in CBD. Um, but, mm -hmm. but the Farm mm -hmm. Bill is inherently flawed, really, because I compare it to like a software patch that's created to improve or, or remedy defective software. In this case, the defective software is the Controlled Substances Act. Except you can't really of fix it. You, you, yeah, you, you can't really fix that with a software patch because 
it leads to other problems. And then you have to have another patch that fixed the software patch and ad infinitum. What it's done is create a situation where people who wanted to grow hemp uh, to extract cannabinoids, in particular CBD, um, they have a lot of problems they had to face. I mean, if you have a robust plant, a cannabis plant, it, they don't like, it, it doesn't really conform very easily to this politically correct 0.3% limit. You know, that it is an artificial limit. You know, in, in European Union, it's 0.2% THC only that's allowed. In Switzerland, they allow 1%. It just, it's an arbitrary number that doesn't have a scientific basis. Um, that's really imposed in U.S. law, I think, to keep, quote unquote, marijuana illegal, to distinguish mm -hmm. hemp from marijuana that way, when originally it was about resin content, not about THC content. Um, mm -hmm. and, and this has caused a lot of problems in terms of um, the industry getting off the ground um, and just how, it's how we relate to it legally. We'll be talking more after we hear this ad. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to, where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories, a calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second-grade teacher, and written by my husband, Clark, an eternal second-grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep Tight Stories. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums. But I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon, and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes, packed with original stories and sleep meditations, Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. You say there were two farm bills, one in 2014 and one in 2018, but you have this explosion, right, of hemp production happening. I think all sorts of people are trying to get into it for industrial purposes, but also, I guess, CBD purposes. And then a few years ago, you have this explosion of CBD. So are they linked because most of the CBD then or even now was coming from hemp plants or plants that were still that were legal under federal law or not i think that the 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 momentum the popular momentum for cbd had been building for some time it really ever since the 2013 cnn broadcast that showed um children with severe epilepsy were helped by cbd almost in a miraculous way. And ever since that time, the CBD uh, pierced national and international consciousness. Prior to then, very few people had heard about CBD at all. So mm-hmm. um, it had been building. And, and, and it's really what led to the uh, passage of the uh, farm bills in 2014, which is quite limited what you could do with uh, growing hemp at that point. And then 2018, which legalized the growing of hemp both for cannabinoid content and, and the classic industrial purposes. The problem is uh, that the kind of hemp that they were uh, allowed people to grow uh, was not the optimal source for extracting CBD. You know, it, again, when you look back to those original noteworthy strains like Charlotte's Web, you're talking 6-7% CBD content by dry weight at most. And, when you compare that to a marijuana, quote unquote, plant with a high CBD content, um, you're talking about 20% CBD by dry weight with about 1.1% yeah, mm-hmm. THC, which is over the limits for hemp, but still it's, the, it's still very low THC and it's the best mm-hmm. source of, of CBD. So, so what you had was people growing hemp, um, but not optimal to extract so they always were trying to push the plant for higher cbd content and eventually what what happened is that they took these um high cbd marijuana strains um, and tried to breed them in such a way as to draw down the thc levels and it's very difficult to do that so farmers were growing the these plants and they had to ca- play uh, cat and mouse with the authorities uh, because the, the, the plants tended to go hot. You know, hemp plants like that, they don't want to stay at 0.3% THC. They want to go up to that 1% THC level. Um, that's the natural form of cannabis uh, for these type of varietals. And um, it really made it difficult for growers. Uh, they would grow plants they go, that would go beyond the THC limit, and they'd have to destroy them. And, and you know, it, it became kind of a mess. And so, so they would actually try to cheat the regulators to, to keep them in the ground um, just as long as they could to maximize the CBD content. 
but then they pushed the THC too high, and uh, and they would try to evade the agriculture department uh, representatives right. that would test the uh, the plants, and it, it became very very difficult. Is, is this still going on now? Yes, to to uh, significant this whole dance. Yes, it, it is going on. There was a study published by the University of Minnesota scientists working there that concluded that. 90% of the genetics of the so-called high CBD hemp plants were actually marijuana genetics. Um, oh. And when, you, when you're playing with these type of plants, you, you can't grow them to full term. Otherwise, again, you, you exceed the, the uh, THC limits. The longer the plants uh -huh. stay in ground, the more cannabinoids that are in there, more CBD and THC. Let's take a break on this, but let's go to the evidence, because my understanding is that the only FDA-approved CBD product, right, is the thing that GW Pharmaceutical started working on 25 years ago, right? It's the Sativex, I guess, and, and Epidolex, um, which is found, you know, helpful in terms of uh, dealing with uh, ch children's epileptic conditions. Is that right? Is that still the basically the only one that's approved? Correct. That is a, a pharmaceutical version of CBD that's approved by the FDA specifically to treat children with uh, three types of uh, severe forms of, of epilepsy. And it can only be used for that purpose. Um, and I think that's a positive development to the extent that this mm -hmm. can really help children uh, with these terrible diseases. It's proven to. They, they went through all the rigorous tests that you have to to be approved by the FDA uh, as, a, as a pharmaceutical. I don't think that the uh, GW Pharmaceuticals which was formed in the late 90s, 1990s, was focusing initially on this kind of CBD isolate, which is what Epidiolex, uh, the pharmaceutical you just mentioned, that's what it is. Initially, they were focused on a, a tincture that had roughly equal amounts of CBD and THC. It's called Sativex, and it is mm -hmm. uh, approved as a pharmaceutical. Uh, in over a couple of dozen countries, but not in the United States. It's approved for use in neuropathic pain in, in um, multiple sclerosis, cancer, and other conditions like that. Um, but it's not available for use in the United States. And it's not pure CBD, right? Uh, Sativex is mainly CBD and THC with, with a smidgen of everything else. And uh, you know, frankly, I, I don't think Epidiolex is a particularly good medicine. In terms of its cannabinoid content, it's basically just pure CBD. But it also has sucralose in it, which is an artificial sweetener, which disrupts the you know, microbiome, you know, has adverse health effects. So when they're giving this to children, um, <laughs> whatever it's doing for the epilepsy, it's also doing other things that aren't so great. And there was a very interesting study um, done out of Brazil. Scientists in Brazil did a meta-analysis, which is considered a very, you know, kind of a gold standard scientific type of study. And they compared Epidiolex, its effectiveness, to full-spectrum CBD-rich oil, meaning a hemp oil that was uh, hemp-derived oil, presumably from hemp, uh, that was mainly CBD, uh, very little THC, but a little bit of everything else that's in the plant. And they found that when they compared the full-spectrum CBD oil to the isolate, that both were effective in dealing with these mm. catastrophic epileptic conditions, uh, it, remarkably so. You know, we're talking about mm. children from nothing else helped. Um, but these isolate required five times the amount of CBD compared to what was in the full-spectrum uh, products uh, to be effective. So when you talk mm -hmm. about uh, CBD as an isolate, 
which is what epidiolex is, it might pass muster easily with regulators. It, it might be something that the FDA is, won't frown upon uh, that's coming from a cannabis plant or a hemp plant. But it's not necessarily the most effective or the best means of using CBD, even for epilepsy. And I, yeah. I, I think it's important to, to highlight because the CBD industry itself, uh, in some ways, is lobbying for these isolates, particularly in Europe, which is an unfortunate. Uh, but it's a game that's played and that's still being played whenever you're dealing with cannabinoids. Mm -hmm. Well, it also, I guess that's part of the regulatory challenge, right? Because if there's reason to believe that it's the entourage effect of the multiple of THC, CBD, and other elements in the cannabis plant, it's probably something that FDA and other regulatory agencies just aren't that good at figuring out how to, you know, regulate, how to evaluate. I mean, let's face it, the FDA was not established uh, to regulate plant medicine. That, it was, that's not what it's about. Um, and interestingly, I don't think it should be in the business of regulating plant medicines. Probably need another mm -hmm. kind of agency or something. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, it, the problem with the FDA now and, and the CBD is that the FDA privileges the isolate over uh, these more complex or what they call the, the, the full spectrum or, or the raw plant that has a lot of different components in it. This presents problems. You know, for people working in pharmaceutical drug development, uh, they don't generally like cannabinoids. They're messy. Uh, cannabinoids, mm -hmm. and particularly CBD, does so many different things in, in the body that, you know, and, and pharmaceutical development likes to take one compound uh, and harness it to have one particular effect. With CBD, mm -hmm. you're having dozens and dozens of effects within the body, you know, even pure CBD. Mm -hmm. So it, it just it's it's messier. It's more problematic from the pharmaceutical point of view. I personally am not mm -hmm. against pharmaceutical versions of cannabinoids. What I find troubling is how they are privileged by the regulatory apparatus to the detriment of natural forms of the sea. Well, by both the regulatory apparatus and by the fact that it's easier for researchers to focus on individual elements as opposed to looking at entourages and combinations, right? I mean, it's, it's on both sides. So, you know, I mean, be earlier today, Martin, I was kind of, as I'm looking through your website and I looked at clinicaltrials.gov online, which lists studies underway or studies completed. I just popped in CBD and it said 926 studies around the world. I mean, U.S., Europe, but also Israel, China, Japan. I mean, a whole range of places going on. So there's obviously a huge amount of research going. But meanwhile, I guess there are no, there are a number of other controlled double-blind studies in human beings which have shown interesting results. There's a bigger number of studies with animals, other animals, um, that have shown promising results. And then a whole bunch of stuff that's in vitro, right? A test tube stuff, which is, you know, looking promising, but where it's a long ways to go before we have the kind of controlled double-blind studies that would get approved by the FDA. So when we look at the various conditions, right, that are out there, the childhood epileptic conditions are the ones that we know about and that have gotten most of the attention. Um, but when we look at the other areas where CBD has proven, mo or CBD, CBD and combo with THC has proven most promising, um, and where the human, you know, controlled double-blind studies, um, you know, have produced positive results, wh what stands out right now? What stands out in general is we're at this precipice. As you mentioned, there's over 900 clinical trials now in effect with CBD. Uh, most of those trials involve just CBD isolates. There's a massive amount of preclinical data, both in vitro and vitro, and in live animals and just test tubes. Um, and that's very, very compelling data that just begs for clinical trials. So we're finally seeing that 
starting to take place. In terms of results from clinical experiments, the verdict is out. But I expect that it's quite likely, given what we're hearing anecdotally from people who are using CBD products, whether isolates or uh, full spectrum or broad spectrum, as it's called, there's enough anecdotal data that's quite compelling and shouldn't be ignored um, that suggests mm -hmm. that CBD shows utility and effectiveness and, and significant benefits uh, in a number of areas for neurological diseases, uh, most definitely, um, for certain mood disorders like anxiety I mentioned, also depression, uh, for pain also. It's, it's clear that those are the big three, pain, anxiety, and depression. So, Martin, you mentioned the neurological diseases, but that means like Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, MS. All of those things, it's showing some promise in either in vivo or in vitro, in either you know, uh, you know, lab tests or in animals so far. Yeah, you know, all have, in, in terms of preclinical work, all have shown uh, very, very interesting possibilities. And again, when you match that with anecdotal reports from people who are actually using CBD in one form or another now, it's compelling. But we've been largely missing the clinical trials uh, that would prove one way or another if the anecdotal accounts are in fact correct. Uh, but we're on the precipice mm -hmm. where we're going to get more information, and that's exciting. Uh, but again, most of these studies are with isolates, CBD isolates, which generally are not as effective when you're talking about a full-spectrum uh, CBD product. Right, where, right. So we and have they're to also keep playing around mind. with dose. I mean, oftentimes it may just be they're finding no result if they're just using levels that are too low on CBD. Yes, uh, that's true. Uh, CBD yeah. is shown to, it's a pretty broad range in terms of uh, dosage. Sometimes very low doses do seem to be effective, not always. Sometimes higher, much higher doses are required. And then things like disorders of the stomach, of the gut, I mean, colitis or Crohn's disease, that's once again, it's, it's essentially anecdotal evidence with a little bit of lab or animal stuff? Uh, with a lot of lab animal stuff, actually, and a lot of anecdotal mm -hmm. evidence, again, but the, the missing piece is the clinical side. So that, that's, mm -hmm. uh, and obviously it's a very, very important piece, but w without it doesn't mean we should ignore the anecdotal accounts, which are mm -hmm. voluminous and, and, and impressive. Right, right. Diabetes and obesity, the same? That's a very interesting area because, you know, when we talk about medical, metabolic disorders like diabetes and, and obesity, uh, you're talking about a condition that, that the World Health Organization has identified as basically a, almost of a, a huge crisis, a global crisis. And uh, diabetes is... I mean, I think actually lot, years of life lost may be greater now involving diabetes and obesity than even from smoking cigarettes, or at least it's neck and neck. I, I'm, I'm not yeah, surprised to hear that. Again, it's the same situation. Anecdotally, what we hear from people using CBD, um, relatively small amounts, 40 to 60 milligrams a day, when they compare the blood sugar levels before and after a, a, a four weeks of using CBD, um, it improves the, the readings afterwards. So mm -hmm. it, it, I think that's going to be an area in the future that could be a major use for uh, CBD-rich products. I also saw on your website the mention of skin diseases like acne, dermatitis, and psoriasis. Yes, yeah. Again, preclinical, uh, that, that's what we're seeing. Also, for some skin diseases, um, in Italy, I believe, there are CBD-rich creams that are available um, uh, that are part of a, you know, within a pharmaceutical framework. 
But Marta, the, the thing I just need to fully understand, so we talk about the benefits of CBD. We also sometimes talk about the benefits of marijuana writ large with all its constituent elements. We talk about the benefits of THC. But when we're talking about CBD, how much of this medical stuff is about CBD entirely isolated from THC and the other elements? How much of it is about the combination of the two? If one were to ask you which is more medically beneficial, could you say, well, one is more than the other, or that, in fact, was most beneficial most of the time is the combo of the two? I would think the latter is correct. It's the combination of CBD and THC that will have most therapeutic benefits. And the more THC one can include in that product, um, the more helpful it will be in the the CBD-rich product. The problem being that the THC is going to be getting you high until you develop a substantial tolerance to the intoxicating effects of THC. Well, this is when it comes down to, again, managing the psychoactivity of THC a CBD can be very, or the psychoactivity of cannabis, that's where CBD comes in and can be very, very helpful. And you can get versions of cannabis now that are not intoxicating. But that's not the point of CBD. The point is not to ablate or eliminate uh, the intoxicating effects. It's to manage it. Because those, uh, the intox, because THC is, has very powerful therapeutic attributes and you want as much as of THC as possible in your in your product if you're going to use it medicinally. It's just that some people don't tolerate THC very well, so you, they have now options. How does this relate to what's going on with with um, with psychedelics? Right. I mean, I think I where was I reading that is that the CBD binds to the same serotonin receptor, the five HT2A, as LSD, mescaline, and psilocin, without triggering a psychedelic trip. And you now have in the psychedelic research field, you know, all sorts of for-profit enterprises and maybe some not-for-profit ones as well that are trying to figure out how to take the trip, how to take the high out of the psychedelic and isolate out, you know, the elements that can be therapeutic without people going through the the big, you know, you know, large dose psychedelic trip. Now, is there something analogous with that with respect to THC going on? It's almost a repeat. You know, CBD was hyped as you get the medical benefits of cannabis without the high. Now, you have so-called versions of psychedelic compounds that are being created um, that confer benefits without the trip. So it's a very similar type of approach. Um, with CBD, it's even more interesting because CBD, um, it, it binds to many different type of receptors. Not, it, it doesn't just interact with cannabinoid receptors, um, and it does so actually in a different way that THC does. Um, CBD actually has a very powerful affinity for various serotonin receptors, including the serotonin 2A receptor, which is the so-called psychedelic receptor. It's the receptor when LSD binds to it or mescaline or metabolites of psilocybin, it produces the trip, a full-blown trip if you have it in you know, enough, uh, enough of a quantity that you're consuming. Um, and, and CBD binds to that same receptor as the psychedelic receptor as LSD binds to. And it, the question is, well, why doesn't CBD cause a trip? It's, it's a whole interesting area to get into. There's actually a study out of China, a crystallography study within the last year, where um, scientists from the Chinese Academy of Science were playing around with different psychedelic compounds to create versions of them that don't confer the trip. And, and they created a, a crystallized version of this 5H2TA, the serotonin 2A receptor. And they found that it was actually two points 
two binding points where uh, a, a compound can bind with that receptor. And depending which point is being affected, uh, it might induce a full-blown trip or it might not. But whatever happens when you bind to a serotonin receptor, whatever point of, of that receptor you're binding to, it does induce um, neuroplasticity and neurogenesis, which CBD does. I mean, CBD is a psychoplastogen, but not a hallucinogen. And that's just the type of compound uh, that it, the scientists are now, who are working in the so-called psychedelic field, um, are trying to create. They're trying to create so-called psychedelic compounds um, without the trip. I, I call those pseudedelic compounds. That's mm -hmm. a phrase uh, that uh, David Luke, a uh, professor in, in the UK, the University of Greenwich, uh, he had that phrase to, to describe uh, that class of compounds that are being developed by scientists from a psychedelic scaffold, but without the hallucinogenic properties. Let's take a break here and go to an ad. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... <laughs> Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums. But I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes packed with original stories and sleep meditations, Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to catch you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Let's go to the question that is really my starting point, and I would imagine is a starting point for most of our listeners. So all this hype with the with the topicals and the lozenges and this and that, and it seems that when you look, I don't see any controlled double-blind studies or anything like that. I have no idea how much is placebo on, on this sort of thing. And, and I also assume that most of the folks manufacturing this stuff don't really have an interest in having these control studies and double-blind studies happening because they're making money off of the hype. And if the controlled double-blind studies turn out to be, you know, show just nothing better than the placebo, you know, their stuff can go down the drain. What is the story with that stuff? What do you know? What can you tell us? You know, I, I think we should take seriously reports from uh, that are anecdotal in nature. Yes, I do think there is a lot of placebo effect going on here. People, if you spend money on a product, you want to believe it's going to work. Uh, and the, things did get kind of crazy uh, with CBD when there was this huge explosion finally in 2018, um, where it seemed to become you know, almost intergalactic CBD. It became one of the most popular health supplements on the planet. All of a sudden, you know, really just exploded. And where you did find CBD in practically everything. We, we had a piece we ran, we call it, on the Project CBD website called the CBD Silly Season. Where it was just ridiculous. Obviously, it was just used for marketing purposes. If you're putting it in, in vodka or in, in clothing, you know, claiming it's going to somehow be absorbed through the skin. Uh, and there's a you know a lot of situations where it just it didn't seem any apparent reason to include CBD. It, one example is coffee. Um, you know, caffeine and CBD have opposite effects in terms of uh, what they do in the body, and it doesn't really make sense to put them together. Really, uh, caffeine works by blocking adenosine receptor. A CBD indirectly triggers the adenosine receptor. Adenosine involved in, in uh, sleep regulation and so forth. So if you block it, you get more, uh, you feel uh, stimulated, you feel more energy. That's how coffee works. Well, CBD is what you'd call it, an end, uh, a adenosine reuptake inhibitor. It delays the breakdown of the adenosine in the body. So there's more of it uh, to bind to the adenosine receptors in a way that's activating it, but, but again, caffeine blocks it. So why would you put CBD together with caffeine in coffee? It doesn't make any sense. Are there any studies at all looking at topical application to deal with everything from muscle ache to arthritis to other types of, uh, you know, problems? Um, there are studies. Again, preclinical mainly, maybe some now uh, are, are in process clinical. Uh, it's very interesting research out of Hungary. Uh, CBD for acne, uh, which again showed a, a great deal of promise. But, um, you know, herbal use of topical remedies uh, has been you know, something that people have been doing for 
for centuries. And typically, what you see in the products today, where CBD is part of a, a topical uh, application, there are many other herbs in there that combine. So it's hard to know really what's working and what's not. Is it the CBD or is it the other herbs? One thing we do know in this regard is that CBD is absorbed easily, uh, more easily, uh, transdermally than mm -hmm. THC. Uh, there's been studies, again, preclinical studies that, that indicate that. It's about 10 times easier to absorb CBD through the skin than compared to THC. So it mm -hmm. would make sense in terms of uh, uh, cannabinoids in a topical, that uh, CBD would be a good candidate. And there are cannabinoid receptors in the skin, which CBD doesn't bind to directly, but it does increase the, um, the amounts of endogenous cannabinoids in the skin, which again, could have a therapeutic effect. The scientific basis for understanding how it could work is there. The preclinical evidence is there, but anecdotal evidence is there. But again, we're waiting for the clinical studies. And in terms of taking it orally, where you're having it, you know, just going through your stomach, or I think even even uh, CBD-infused chocolate bars? Oh, oh yeah, by, by all means. You know, it, it's shown that with CBD and with other cannabinoids, they're more effective if taken uh, in an edible form, if taken orally, if they're combined with some kind of a, a healthy fat, like a coconut juice or something like that. There's more CBD that's absorbed that way. Oh, So that's better than vaping it, for example? Uh, you know, vaping it, you know, each of these administration routes have their own benefits or own, you know, their own pluses and minuses, you might say. You know, vaping very quick, uh, the effect. Uh, you don't have smoke, so that's an advantage as well. Um, but I caution people it's in terms of um, using vape products, uh, CBD vape products, uh, I would caution people to, to steer clear of of. Hemp derived. Is anybody seed. regulating them? No, at this that's point? not. And, and, not. And it's unregulated, and there's a lot of crap in these products. Is what's found because there's yeah. always a carrier agent, some kind of an oil or something in there uh, that the CBD, which is generally an isolate, uh, that's put in, sort of added like a dollop of CBD to, to some kind of carrier agent. Um, it's pretty funky what can be in these products. So, 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 Mar, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, so the, the one product that I've been, you know, consuming for years, and, and our listeners should know I don't get paid anything for saying this. I've been using this product for many, many years, is the Kiva chocolate bars that come out of the Bay Area in California. I, I think they got this great chocolate. They have a reliable effect. I like the way they do it. I actually went over and visited the factory and met the owners some years ago. Um, but sometimes I'll use a bar that's 100% THC, and sometimes um, it's split you know, 50-50 THC and CBD. I don't know that I'm noticing that much difference. I mean, should the difference be fairly perceptible to me, or is it only going to be perceptible to some people? You know, when you have a roughly equal amounts of CBD and THC, assuming that it's a sufficient quantity, uh, it will be intoxicating. It's not just... Well, no, they're definitely equal. I mean, they seem to me roughly equally intoxicating. That's what I'm wondering, because when you combine the two, right, the CBD is supposed to lessen the high a little bit in addition to lessening any potential anxiety or inflammation. That's my understanding, right? But I haven't noticed a, a big, just overall difference in terms of the high, the feeling. Um, is it just that I'm not paying close enough attention? Or uh, it's a good question. It might have something to do with how the product made. And I agree. I, I think Kiva products are very good. Uh, I found that when I uh, smoke a, a CBD-rich varietal, 
of cannabis that is roughly equal amounts of CBD and THC, it, it does feel like that the, the ceiling of the high is lowered a bit. And it, it, you don't get that, um, that kind of antsy feeling you, you sometimes get from uh, mm -hmm. a very high, C, uh, high THC uh, cannabis. Uh, as for edibles, you know, we don't know what's going on here. If they just simply added a CBD isolate to the chocolate, that's probably what they did. Okay. And listen, there's another, I saw Kiva, I think, had another candy bar. There's another drug that has CBN in it. What's the CBN thing about? Is that like in third place after THC and CBD as being a prominent and promising substance? Um, is it the one that people use for sleep or other things? Uh, this is an example of a kind of folklore in the cannabis world where CBN has, which is, uh, stands for cannabinol. Uh, it's really a breakdown product of THC. Um, you know, when the cannabis is, is old in your closet or something, or is exposed to light, um, it, it breaks down into CBN, um, and which to me is an indication of a sort of an old product, uh, not as good really. Uh, CBN has been associated with uh, treatments for sleep, uh, but I think there's really no scientific basis for this at all, really, and it's mm. it's. So I think it's a marketing ploy because it, the folklore has it that, oh, CBN, good for sleep. Even though there's no science showing this, um, it's become a thing in the cannabis world. So a lot of uh, products you know, have this in it. And, and I, I think it's basically just a – I don't think it has any – But there shouldn't be any risk. In other words, it's just a kind of a bit of a scam or nothing, but it's not going to hurt you. I don't think it would hurt, no. It, it, it may, uh -huh. you know, a very, very mild version of THC. You can think of it that way. Um, but I in see. terms of getting to well, sleep, I don't, I don't think it has really helped. And what's the whole thing about CBD and pets? Well, there's a whole area there. Of the, of certain veterinarians that are looking into um, using cannabis as part of a veterinarian therapy um, are very, uh, very excited about uh, CBD. Uh, THC is a little bit more problematic for dogs, for example. Uh, they, they react very strongly to uh, THC. So the, the emphasis is on you know, not getting your animal intoxicated. Um, so there's a natural leaning toward uh, CBD. And I, I think it's a promising area for veterinary science mm -hmm. and veterinary mm -hmm. medicine. So Now, Marno, going back to the industry here. So and I see that on your web, for example, you don't promote any brand, but you have sponsors, right? And you have, I think, a, a one or two dozen companies. Now, do you vet these companies before they can become a sponsor? I mean, to make sure that they are really doing the whole plant thing, that they're, you know, I mean, that basically their products are safe and good. H how do you handle that stuff? You know, it's tricky. Um, yes, we do vet them and we look for certain things um, about the product themselves. Uh, some of it just makes sense. You know, if, if they're products that include a lot of sugar, corn syrup, artificial sweeteners, uh, then we steer clear of those brands. Um, if the brands are interested in you know, other forms of therapy with fun functional mushrooms or, or things like that, it, it tends to indicate a, a broader perspective about healing that would be uh, complementary for, for what we're looking for in terms of a, of a CBD brand. Uh, if, if the CBD brands involved with some of these newfangled um, Delta 10 and Delta 8 and you know, these uh, kind of THC knockoffs, uh, we steer clear of them because these products are not regulated. And again, the, the way they're made, uh, it really raises the likelihood that there's going to be contaminants in these products. Mm -hmm. um, if they're a hemp uh, CBD brand that's selling 
Vape products, that's a bit of a red flag for us as well. Uh, vape products, mm -hmm. CBD-rich vape products sold in cannabis dispensaries, uh, we're okay with that uh, because, again, they go through a testing regimen that the hemp products don't go through. And generally speaking, I mean, when I talk to people who say, you know, I mean, marijuana, the problem with it, it makes me paranoid, it makes me anxious. I, I sometimes find myself saying, well, why don't you try doing something with a high CBD, low THC content? And in addition to ch changing the set and setting and paying attention to that may be the most important variable um, and doing it with people you're comfortable with and, you know, and all this sort of thing. But I mean, does that make sense that people have had negative reactions in the past that maybe switching that ratio might be the thing that enables them to learn how to enjoy uh, marijuana? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, that's, that's the whole point of the different ratios of CBD and THC. If you have a mm -hmm. lot of CBD and very little THC, it shouldn't be intoxicating. You know, studies have shown there's a genetic basis for uh, how people tolerate uh, THC. There are certain people who just cannot tolerate THC. We could be talking about a six foot five inch guy who's 250 pounds who will wilt. You know, have to, uh, even near THC, you know, uh, it, it doesn't have to do with uh, uh, body type or anything like that. But genetically, about 20% of Caucasians have a, what's called a polymorphism, or you can call it a mutation, but that's a little bit too strong a word, where the enzymes, the proteins that would normally metabolize THC and break it down, um, they're different in those people. So it results in uh, inability to break down the THC in a no, quote-unquote normal way. And for such a person, they'll have bad experiences on, on THC. So, Martin, just to go back, and we're going to wrap this up shortly. Um, so the FDA put out something. I mean, I think they're being asked to regulate CBD. I think there are many people in the industry who would like it to be regulated. I think consumers would like to have greater assurance out there. But the FDA, I think to the extent it stepped into it, has said some pretty negative things. And we talked before about how they're not really cut out to be evaluating you know, things that involve an entourage effect or to evaluating plants. But what is going on with this FDA now? And what do we expect to see happening with them in coming years vis-a-vis -vis CBD? Well, FDA is the foot-dragging administration, really, and they're dragging their feet on this issue. You know, it goes back to the 1994 Dietary Supplement Health and that, that act that specifically that there is a provision called the exclusionary provision, um, which states that if a, um, a compound is approved as a pharmaceutical, it can't be included in, in dietary supplements. Well, that's really the holdup with the FDA because they're sticking to that rule um, as a way of saying, well, we don't move on this because, because of the exclusionary principle. And, and I think that there's a counter push coming that even within Congress, even coming from the red state senators and representatives who um, represent states that are hemp-growing states, that they, they want to see the FDA move past this. And I think, you know, the, uh, CBD has scrambled the prohibitionist narrative in a lot of different ways. And it's sort of, it's forcing this FDA, I think, to, you know, to change the way it approaches this issue. In, in this particular in instance, there's just too much popular pressure on this. There's just too much of a need um, to have a seriously regulated market here for CBD rather than the, you know, the Wild West that we're seeing with hemp CBD. And I would like to see the standards raised so that the way that the um, cannabis industry, uh, the legal cannabis industry, is regulating 
um, its products, including CBD-rich products, that everything else rise to that level of, of safety, uh, which mm-hmm. uh, that would be, I think, a positive development. But I think I'm not sure if that's what the CBD industry wants to hear. And do you think that as we move towards synthetics, will they become better at doing not just the CBD and THC, but all the other minor elements of the cannabis plant? Will they, will they be producing synthetically sort of synthetic entourage drugs from the... from? I mean, there's getting the entourage effect through synthetics. I don't know about entourage uh, through synthetics, and I don't think you can really create, uh, recreate a, a real entourage effect or a full entourage effect just by you know adding a bunch of putting a bunch of synthetics together. But I think the the potential positive side uh, of this move towards synthetics is that um, minor cannabinoids with with great therapeutic potential which would not be uh, possible to, to access uh, from the plant itself in any significant quantity, um, could be made in sufficient quantities to do clinical trials with understanding that that's, that's the pharmaceutical approach, a reductive approach that's focusing on single molecules. I'm not against single molecules. What I'm against is privileging pharmaceutical mm-hmm. single molecules over a full plant. And, and, and then, uh, you know, which is what you're saying will inevitably happen as we move to synthetics. Um, yes, but uh, it's a matter of, uh, you know, we have to stand up for artisanal, full-spectrum ca- cannabis right. products. That, right, right. That's, oh, that should be part of the mix. It's just that the regulatory apparatus doesn't favor that type of thing. And, right, and that's right. the problem. It's not that intrinsically um, single-molecule pharmaceuticals are quote-unquote bad, um, they can actually work and help people. Epidiolex mm-hmm. works. Well, so it sounds like, though, as marijuana is increasingly legalized, though, it's really going to ease the way for the therapeutic values of CBD. And since you're basically saying that anytime you're taking CBD, you're better off taking it where it's got some at least small amount of THC or even other um, elements of the cannabis plant in it, I mean, that's going to be all for the good in terms of making CBD as useful as it can be. Um, for people living here or wherever. That's what we would hope. Okay, well, listen, Martin, thank you very much for sharing your insights and wisdom about CBD with me and my psychoactive audience. Thank you. If you're enjoying Psychoactive, please tell your friends about it. Or you can write us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your own stories, comments, and ideas, then leave us a message at 1-833-779-2460. That's 833-PSYCHO-0. Or you can email us at psychoactive at protozoa.com or find me on Twitter at Ethan Nadelman. You can also find contact information in our show notes. Psychoactive is a production of iHeartRadio and Protozoa Pictures. It's hosted by me, Ethan Nadelman. It's produced by Noam Osband and Josh Thane. The executive producers are Dylan Golden, Ari Handel, Elizabeth Giesis, and Darren Aronofsky from Protozoa Pictures, Alex Williams and Matt Frederick from iHeartRadio, and me, Ethan Nadelman. Our music is by Ari Belusian, and a special thanks to Avivit Bar-Yosef, Bianca Grimshaw, and Robert Beebe. Next week's episode will be all about Ibogaine, 
I'll be talking with Hattie Wells, one of the leading experts in the uses of this remarkable psychedelic substance. The piece that I think, you know, might make Ibogaine seem somewhat daunting is you are sort of immobilized. So you'll be lying down on a bed for at least sort of 16, 18 hours without moving and you can't move. Uh, and that, that is definitely an intense experience. Subscribe to Psychoactive Now so you don't miss it. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionised over 20 million bedtimes with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cosy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.